Hello, welcome to Spaceman Pod. I'm Ian Edmund. And I'm Mark Lassels. And it's been a bit of a while since we've we've done one of our podcasts. We had uh, that lovely run of uh, chats that we had with Mark Riffoy a, a little while ago, but that's been uh, over a month since then. We were all getting ready to put something together, but then... Uh, unusually for the last year or so we suddenly had a bit of illness in our, in my house had uh, a cold that was so nasty that a couple of the household did get tested for covid which it wasn't in the end and that put us off because we were getting ready to record just when i couldn't really speak and mark uh, even worse in your direction i think we had illness in in my house although uh, <laughs> i don't know whether i call it that was uh, a case of seeing a football in the garden thinking oh yeah i think i'll kick that next thing i know i was uh, flat on my front cracked rib and uh, yeah unable to uh, even squeak let alone speak for a, a podcast so uh, yeah Very apologies nasty. but <laughs> kids, self-inflicted kids you will be old one day please take pity on us <laughs> you know <laughs> we'll come to you eventually <laughs> um right well Today, I'm very grateful to to Mark for a suggestion that that you made a little while ago when uh, you said, um, oh, you know, we'll have to talk about Walking With Jesus one day. And I thought, oh, I don't know, it's it's such a big song. It's such an important thing. Don't want to use up all the the big hitters too early in our run. Um, But then the more I thought about it, the more I absolutely couldn't resist because because it's wonderful and and such a central thing to the story. So today we're going to spend most of our time chatting about that but um there's little bits of uh, news that we should make sure we've covered uh we're recording Indeed. this um near the end of august and in the beginning of september uh peak Amber's coming over to the uk for the sonic boom gigs which have been delayed at least once i can't remember if it's more than that so many things have been pushed around the schedules um it is uh, at a time of recording uh, only about uh, two or three weeks away and uh, one of those gigs is in Brighton, where I am, and I know one's not far from you as well. What is in Leeds at the Brighton? It is now, in Leeds, absolutely. yes, absolutely. Um, I have to confess, I'm still a little nervous and unsure uh, how I feel about crowds. Yes, and... yes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd be lovely to see P. And of course, unlike uh, previous tours, now that he's uh, not living in the UK, they're a little rarer, and it'd be such a shame to miss that chance. So I, I very much hope that I'll feel brave enough when the time comes. Um, part, all those dates are listed on the Sonic Boom Bandcamp site. That's probably the best place for you to go and find them rather than have us reel them all off again now. Also, spiritualized reissue campaigns are continuing apace. They've put the little promo clips up for the ladies and gentlemen one. It's probably worth mentioning now something we sort of dithered about talking about before because it was very early days. We didn't know if we were just seeing one or two exceptional cases, but there do seem to be quite a few people who've had problems with some of the vinyl pressings, especially the colored vinyl ones. Um, I'm wondering if this is just a consequence of the fact that post pandemic vinyl pressing plants seem to be in incredible demand well, few the backlog's people, enormous isn't it yeah a few people we know who've got their own small labels complaining that they can't get anything done for for months and months or six month absolute minimum mm. often longer than that also it seems that the um costs have gone up and that people are being asked to pay more now than the original deals that were cut with them as well so it's a a terrible position for small labels but this may be a consequence of that and to the credit of um, Fat Possum the company who are putting these reissues out they seem to be doing their best to deal with it so if you've got 
um, a duff pressing and, and haven't had a chance to do anything about it, you know, go and look them up and, and email the guy there who I gather is extremely responsive and yeah. they're doing their best. I'm sure no one's happy about this at the record company. I'm sure Jason's not happy about it, but it's one of those things. I, I heard a thing that said it seems to be depending on which plant they're coming from because the original yeah, you're right. original test pressings didn't seem to have these problems. Um, but there we odd. go. Seems odd. I was going to say maybe the cassette industry is having such a revival it could take over. <laughs> <laughs> I like cassettes, but even oh, I'm that's... not such a sad hipster that I have been suckered into buying new ones. In fact, there's a, a, a guy who might recognise himself, an old friend and massive Spaceman 3 fan who makes his own music, who um, I'd like to buy some more of his stuff from Bandcamp, but he seems to be a little bit hardcore and in terms of physical releases and doesn't put them up for digital download only. There's one album I'd like to get from him. The only remaining way to buy it is to buy the cassette. To oh do that, I get the download free with it. Maybe I'll try and buy it and send a message saying, yeah, I bought it, but you can keep the cassette. You know, it will only take up a bit of space. Oh, over God. I still have a working cassette deck, incredibly. But, oh, uh, yeah. It <coughs> doesn't get used much. No, I've <laughs> not quite be been able to bring myself to dispose of the, the fairly substantial stack of cassettes I've got and you know sad enough collector that the old Spaceman 3 ones are just lovely artifacts to have themselves yeah although they sort of broke my collecting bug in a way for everything it's not come back in the way it was because for many years it was the glass cassette of the perfect prescription for some reason I set up as being like my holy grail probably because it was so hard to find and then one came <sighs> up on eBay and it came up fairly cheap and no one noticed and I got it fairly cheap and then I, then it, there it was in my hands, and suddenly, it wasn't such a big deal anymore. You know, <laughs> it was the chase, I think, rather than the actual having of it that was was the thing. I don't think I've played it, which I should do because it's, it's you know twice it's got a whole extra side of extra stuff, although it's just previously recings. Anyway, there we go. Um, and another thing which uh, only got posted uh, this morning by Will Carruthers, he's got some of his lino cut artwork as part of a display that is happening at a gallery in Hoxton. It's at uh, the exhibition's called Tilt 2021, Hoxton Gallery Summer Show. I'll put a link to this uh, in the page for the podcast on the site. It opens on the 20th of August, closes on the 5th of September, so fairly short run, but if you're in the area, Go along and have a look at that. I mean, you can see examples of, of Will's art, I think, on his uh, Patreon site. And uh, we've mentioned this before, but it's a, it's a, a good, you get, you get a good deal if you sign up for his Patreon. And depending on what level you're at, sometimes that includes bits of this art, but it's often up there for sale anyway. So yeah, go and check that out. I'm wondering if Will's part of that exhibition in any way linked to the fact that the only time I've ever been to Hoxton Square was for um, a, a gig that we'll talk about later in this episode, where um, so Will called had, reunion. Well, indeed, I think we should probably slightly shy away from actually calling it a reunion, but it was a, a collection, <laughs> a gathering of friends. Of four, yes, exactly. Um, but as part of that show, there was uh, an exhibition of, of Natty's artwork there. So, um, you know, Will's obviously got his connections in that area. <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about Walking With Jesus today, a song which was around from the very early days of Spaceman 3, one that was played throughout their career in some of the earliest shows, right up to some of the later ones as well, went through all sorts of transformations. But I thought we'd start off just talking about the content of the song and, and the lyrics, because this is 
almost entirely a, a Jason Pierce composition. So it's Jason that will be our, our, our main focus today. There were some contributions from Pete, and we'll talk about those when, when they come up. But um, one of the things that we said right at the start of our first podcast is that we didn't want to be talking about Spaceman 3 and going on about drugs all the time. And we still want to try and stick to that as much as we can. But there are times when it's a bit unavoidable, and this has got to be one of them, because in, in that sort of famous what were they trying to do, document their lives and what they saw about them. This has got to be the, the key example of that, really. Yeah, I would agree. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was Jason who, who wrote most of the lyrics that was actually necessarily experiencing any of this uh, himself. And it's not for us really to, to speculate beyond what he might have said in public. So it's going to be, you know, in terms of the narrator of the song. But anyway kicks off I walked with Jesus and he would say although from the beginning we can say that that was um, not the way it was originally done um, there's some handwritten lyrics which I think is Jason's hand where you can see that the, the the walking both in the first line and the title has been overwritten with a w and that originally it was talking so I was walking or talking with Jesus and he would say oh, you poor child, you ain't coming to me no way. So we're getting that sort of moral slant on the fact that whatever's going on is not something which uh, should really be approved on. And Jason talked about this in, in various interviews. It's kind of a man not exactly challenging his conscience, but uh, certainly questioning part of it, I think. He said in an interview in the NME in April 92, he said, on the first Spaceman album, I was lifting bits of old songs and lyrics. Walking with Jesus off the second LP was the first time I wrote my own words and questioned what I was doing in a massive way. When I did that song, I was doing a lot of stuff to myself. Drugs, do you want a list? And it's very hard to be doing all that and to be happy without becoming very questioning. All of it was against everything I've been brought up to believe. So he's casting Jesus there as, I guess, the, the, the moral authority, making it clear whether what he's doing is, is the right thing or not. I mean, he did say about that in uh, a Melody Maker interview in February uh, 98. So that wasn't a religious song. Jesus is just one of a very few moral characters. And that song has to do with breaking moral codes. That's Everything right. you've been brought up to believe is right and good being turned around by something that's happened to you growing up. Yeah, you know, obviously, there's a huge amount of religious imagery throughout the whole of Spaceman Three canon. But I mean, that's as clear an indication as you need that it's a it's an allegorical thing, really. So, what's Jesus's problem? You found heaven on earth, going to burn for your sins, but I think I'll be in good company down there with all my friends. I mean, that's completely the documenting your your times and your experiences, isn't it? Yeah, I think also around that time, the BBC did an everyman documentary about LSD and there were a lot of religious connotations in terms of a lot of the people were taking it in order to this is back in the uh, 60s and even earlier they were taking it to have some kind of religious experience mm -hmm. and the people who uh, had uh, claimed to have had religious experiences without the use of LSD were uh, I remember uh, one of the guys said uh, Taking LSD to get yourself into the presence of God is barging into the presence of God. And I, I always thought that that was quite an interesting stance on that, that if you're actually going to fi uh, find yourself at that kind of level of consciousness, but you've done it 
without the use of prayer or artificially. Somebody from a religious point of view might find that as effectively cheating. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't I don't agree with that, I have to say. <laughs> I, always thought, I always thought it was quite an interesting point of view because yeah. a lot of people do have religious experiences uh, on psychedelics. Uh, I mean, I know this song tends to be, uh, tends to refer to drugs in general. I was, I don't know, I was kind of leaned towards the psychedelic side that even though that possibly wasn't the main thing that they were up to. I think with, with this song, you could, like so much of it, sort of relate it to whatever experience you fancy and that's one of the things we'll talk about with the lyrics the way that they were changed a bit to make it a bit more non-specific which really I think has been one of Jason's ways of operating throughout his his whole career really you know to maybe have an influence or two but try and uh, present it in a way that you can attach all sorts of meanings and find it in in, from other um, sensations but there's not a lot of doubting here because the original lyrics specifically name checked a particular drug well that's really interesting what you said because that ties in so nicely to where we get to next you know what's Jesus's problem I got around to thinking about what Jesus said to me because if heaven's like this then that's the place to be I mean that's the that's exactly the collision of religious experience and, uh, and drug use. And then what's to be done about that? Long, long time between now and my death. I've got to have my fun, so I've chosen what's best. I mean, it makes it very clear that it is something that the narrator has thought about, made a choice, considered the options. And, and if heaven's like this, then there's not really any alternative. And then depending on which version you're listening to, this may be the first time we get, well, here it comes sound of confusion sound of love so although this is uh, a majority jason pierce song that chorus is contributed by pete kember and uh, i don't know quite exactly what he was meaning by it but considering it is uh, a heroin song and that that early lyric of uh, if heaven's like this was originally if heaven's like heroin the rush um yeah i i'm imagining that by here it comes it's obviously it's a coming on yeah. feeling and sound of confusion, I can only assume, is meant to be not entirely sure about this. It's all a little bit chaotic and overwhelming and bewildering. But then it settles down into the feelings that were being aimed for. And now it's the sound of love. That, that chorus, for me, probably kind of epitomizes everything about Spaceman 3 in terms of the way that their music hit me because it, it's very distorted and a lot of people find it quite unpleasant at, at, at times when they really get guitar mashing but the sound of confusion was such a perfect phrase to describe mm. their music and the way that those lyrics here it comes here comes the sound and it's like the anticipation it's it just sums everything up for me i think it's uh, they 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 couldn't have encapsulated where they were coming from better than that chorus I I would be amazed if there's anyone listening to this who's not already a massive Spaceman 3 fan. But on the off chance that anyone's listening and thinking, why are you getting so excited? All these lyrics are very straightforward. They're very basic. What you said there is is exactly it. It's it's the well-chosen phrase and it's the economy as well. In the course of a few verses, Jason in particular here gets over all of the feelings that are surrounding this experience just so incredibly well. He, he could also sing it in several different ways, mm. so that sometimes he sounded kind of fragile and almost desperate, and other times he sounded comforted and 
confident depending on how he actually delivered that here comes the sound yeah. and here it comes it was uh, sometimes he'd he'd kind of push it up and 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 uh he'd go up a few notes or sometimes he'd go down and it was yeah. well, well we've got all the recorded versions to to have a whiz through in a moment and uh yeah that's that's definitely something that makes a completely different attitude to the whole way it's being de- it's being delivered and 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 received as a result of that well anyway we get I, th- I think our final verse yeah um so listen sweet lord forgive me my sins because i can't stand this life without all of these things it's just that again that you're going to have to get over it <laughs> that acceptance that this is the way it's been gone and then a couple of lines which you, you've already said you think that the sound of confusion sound of love epitomizes everything i think in the next few lines jason comes up with a couplet which is for me the distillation of, of almost everything about Spaceman 3 when he says um, no I've done wrong but I've heaven on earth no I've done wrong but I could have done me worse and I think it's it's that last little bit no I've done wrong but I could have done me worse that just seems to sum up so much of of what they're about really that you know acknowledgement that um, they're not perfect by any means but uh, <laughs> but at the same time is this something that should get the level of persecution that it was especially at this point in the 80s it's just a nice summation of a statement of intent but at the same time slight resignation but as you say i i I still i can't quite believe that they came out with a song as blatant as this at that particular time because i remember that that whole heroin shadow over the uk and all those Mm. ads on the tv and all that stuff and it was so frowned upon mm. i mean drug use anyway but particularly heroin yeah it, mm. people really despised it and despised heroin users so for them to come out with this was nothing well, short the, of remarkable this is really. very much the peak of the um, heroin screws you up campaign which yeah. anyone of our age in the uk will remember the posters of um, people you know <laughs> curled up in balls or literally sitting in gutters and i mean i should make it very clear we're not advocating heroin use please don't feel that you should go out and and try it sorry i mean i've i have never tried heroin and probably expect that i never will and in a way i i feel that 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 spacemen three have done it for me maybe when i had a general anesthetic i might have been the closest i've been i guess so (laughs) because you know sometimes when i plug into some of this music i i sort of feel that that i've got the feeling and don't feel any need to have to explore anymore which i know is something that they've said was sort of the point as well at times so i I think that also links back to the fact that spacemen three were a band that very much linked with their audience that's certainly what i felt when i used to go to the gig so if they are singing about heroin in this song as pete kemba said this this could be interpreted for pretty much any drug uh, Mm. and you can if you were taking drugs and you had this kind of attitude you probably had this kind of discussion with your conscience or something Mm. similar anyway yeah so it it was a very familiar thing for a lot of spaceman three fans at that time then we've got the little coda that wraps things up. You know, Jesus, please meet me at the centre of the earth because his wings are going to fail me, but I could have done me worse. Um, it's a lovely summary, although it's it's missing from a lot of the versions. Uh, it was written, as we'll, we'll talk about in a mo, right at the beginning when the song was first done. But it doesn't really make a, an appearance again until until the, the, the final album, Perfect Prescription version. But uh, I've always loved that little coda. I think it's... Oh, it's... Um, it's a lovely little summary. 
There are a couple of active Spacemen 3 Facebook groups, and in the run-up to the recording of the episode, I asked if anyone had Walking With Jesus as a particular favourite, and a few people got in touch. One of those was Pete Hughes, and Pete was kind enough to share some of his thoughts on the song with us. Um, Walking With Jesus, why is it my favourite Spaceman 3 song? I think it was my main introduction, really, to Spaceman 3. I'd heard hypnotised, I think, on Snub TV, which were late 80s, early 90s indie show on BBC Two, and it blew me away. So I nicked around with my paper round money to uh, our price in Doncaster, picked out a Spaceman 3 album and ended up with the perfect prescription. Very excited, totally different to hypnotise, but Walking With Jesus was the song that really stuck out on first listen, because it's like a hymn in two chords. I'd always been attracted to the idea of punk, that anyone should be able to do it, but I wasn't particularly attracted to the sound. I think you've got to be in a certain mood and I'm, I'm not a particularly angry person all the time. And I think Walking With Jesus showed me that you could make very soulful music, spiritual music, just using two chords. And the lyrics as well, I think, stood out to me because they're just, it's that, that Spaceman 3 thing or particularly Jason thing of the matching the religious experience and the psychedelic experience that has some kind of appeal to me. And it's stuck with me ever since. It's been a massive influence to me when I was learning to play musical instruments myself. It spurred me on because it was a song that I could play, but two chords and it sounds great and it always sounds great. It's it's an absolute classic to me and I, I would imagine that I've probably listened to it every week for the last 30 years, to be honest. Cheers, Pete. Great to hear from you. It's one of these songs, when we were talking in one of the previous podcasts about transparent radiation, uh, it was really interesting to go through all the little versions we've got on different albums and compilations. But it turned out when I listened to them really closely that quite a lot of them were the same version at different stages of completion, different mixes, different bits dubbed onto them. And we've got quite a few versions of Walking With Jesus, but as far as I can make out, they're all different, which is brilliant because we can see a, an evolution and what, they were, what the band were trying to do with it at different points in its life. Now, I don't know for sure that I've got all of these in the order that they were recorded. I think I have, but it's, it's a bit of guesswork going on because, you know, the Spaceman catalogue's not tremendously well documented. But we certainly know that the first version, the first recorded version we've got is from the 1984 demo tape, which was eventually released as For All the Fucked Up Children of the World, We Give You Spaceman 3. That's a very unusual version considering what comes afterwards, isn't it, Mark? It is. It is. Very sort of Muddy Waters, Manish Boy, blues slide. A lot of the songs on those demos had that bluesy feel. Uh And it is fairly remarkable to think that within a year, uh, everything had changed. Yeah. It would be really interesting if if we'll ever get to hear someday anything they were doing earlier than this. I mean, there wasn't much they were doing. I don't know that anyone would have recorded the very first gigs. There have been a few gigs before this, because, of course, um, this demo tape is a three-piece lineup of um, Jason, Pete and Natty. There's no bass player, although they had had a bass player. Pete Bain had been a member of the band before this, before leaving with Tim Morris to go off and, and join another band for a bit. And we don't really know what that sounded like. So I wonder if uh, if there was anything different before this. But anyway, as you say, it's, it has got this slidey blues feel. The um, vocal line's very different. You know, it hasn't really settled down to the one we know. But this is the absolutely unequivocally blatant 
heroin version. There's a couple of lines which got changed after this. If heaven's like heroin, that, that's for me. And um, can't stand my life without sweet heroin. Pete said um, in an interview in the Spaceman 3 fanzine Outer Limits that those were lines that uh, he contributed. Um, so he, he says, uh, I put the chorus in later and also the line, listen, sweet Lord, please give me a sing, so I can't send this life without sweet heroin. And another one, because if heaven's like heroin, then that's the place for me. Jason wanted to take the heroin references out. He very occasionally sing them live. Basically, he chickened out. He didn't like being so specific or whatever. Partly that, and he wanted it so it could be perceived as being about a much wider range of experiences and or drugs. I, I don't know if Pete would stick to the way that that came across in the way he said that these days because I don't think it's it's right to say that Jason chickened out when he changed them I think it really is that it's been made universal I think it's the sort of thing as you were saying Mark when they're connecting with their audience the audience know what they're saying so it's a it's a little bit of a nod and a wink when the words aren't explicitly there why, why do you need to say it the people who know they know and it means that you won't get lots of sensationalist hassle from everyone who ever hears the song other mm. particularly now when you think of the comparative success that uh, they've both had since those oh, days yeah. and the idea of spiritualized being on stage at the brawl albert uh -huh. hall using and... those heroin lyrics i i can't see that going down terribly well with uh, yes. the general public absolutely <laughs> but it's quite a version isn't it i mean it, they were obviously still finding their way apart from OD Catastrophe, none of the songs sounded right. like that by the time they got finally recorded. And indeed, that particular version of OD Catastrophe will come into our Walking With Jesus story because the next one that we've got is the Northampton demo recorded. That's right, the Taking Drugs. Yeah, Taking the one that was released on Taking Drugs, absolutely. And by this point, it's changed to sound a lot more like <laughs> the version that we would all know. It's, it's much faster. It's got a much more guitar-heavy attack. We've now got a bass player as well. But even so, even though there's a bass player on, on that version, it's still very trebly. It's yeah, very yeah. high end, isn't it? But I, I have to say, I, I find that almost a little bit too trebly. The the fuzzes, it's a bit, it's presumably cramps influences. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Is the thing because that's doing that? It's, it's very raw. And very raw indeed, The yes. fact that uh, uh, Jason's vocals pushed quite a long way to the front of that. I mean, it's uh, big yeah. vocals on that version. Yeah, yeah. And by this time, the lyrics have changed to the ones that are, are the ones we'll know throughout most of the versions. If, you know, heavens like this, it's a bit more non-specific. There's an interesting thing about that, though. To When the feedback comes in towards the end, that feedback is is dubbed on. It wasn't recorded yeah, as part I, I of that. I didn't realise that. Yeah, um, well, I had this pointed out to me by, um, by someone who was around at the time not long ago. It's Going back to the version of OD Catastrophe that's on that 1984 demo tape, at the time still called TV Catastrophe, slightly betraying its uh, mm. Stooges origin a bit there, the feedback's on that, on that demo tape. So it's the same feedback? Whether it was actually recorded separately from the TV Catastrophe and doubled onto that, I don't know. But when you listen to it, once you're aware of it, you can't <laughs> miss it. I didn't know for a long time, but once you know I it, must you admit, cannot I miss it. spotted that. It's exactly the same feedback. Goodness me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, it doesn't only appear on that. There's a, the famous story about those Northampton demos that Pete Bain was, wasn't happy with the version of 235 that had feedback on. Oh, that's on. right. Yeah, yeah. And, he wanted uh, to take it and off. so therefore they did remove it. And on the original 
um, vinyl issue of those demos, there's only the non-feedback version. And now that we've had reissues since then, we've got the feedback version as well. Well, listen to the feedback on the feedback version. It's the same feedback. Wow, that's it's, that's interesting. So it's been used all over the place there. You also pointed out that um, there's, there's, there's some bits which they sort of pinched from a band called the Five Americans. Absolutely. Again, this is something which, again, I, did, I had no idea about, but but someone recently said, you know, have a listen to this. There's a track called The, the Five Americans called... Um, I, I See the Light. I thank you. Yes, I see, well, <laughs> see that. Absolutely. It's on YouTube. We'll definitely put a link to it. Oh, um, that is just extraordinary. And uh, this wasn't Fantastic. there in that original demo version, but now we've got to this stage in the game. Well, you listen to that Five Americans song, and it's going all the way through. So would they have heard it? It's unlikely that they hadn't. I think it was on one of the Nuggets compilations. Yeah, they, they were listening to a lot of those. Things, Although sure. I don't think it was on the original vinyl version of Nuggets, but there was a 1986 American CD thing uh, uh, just a selection of tracks which did include that as well or of mm. course they or one of their friends might have had the original you know circles they were mixing a hell of a lot of music those guys very, so. very musically literate and the different people who came along and, and gave them different influences yeah i mean it's probably floating around rugby somewhere there so yeah there's probably a little lift there but as you say it is raw isn't it and yeah, I, I actually yeah. find some of those early ones it's probably a little bit sacrilegious i find some of them just a little bit too raw to be comfortable sometimes i mean the one that really does it for me moving away from walking with jesus a bit the um sound of confusion album version of um amen stroke hey man when it gets to the choruses on that the guitar that's doing the drone there it sounds to me like like an old badly maintained car driving along the road the exhaust pipe having fallen off and it's dragging along the road it's just a sort of aggressive and uncontrolled drone i mean look they're obviously great sounds but, um, good it's harsh harsh at times well i think they must have known this because um they decided that walking with jesus was going to be their first single and before even thinking of it as a single of course it was going to be recorded for the first album for sound of confusion because at the time of when they recorded the northampton demos yeah, that, that time the song was still called Sound of Confusion. So it was going to be the title track for the album. Right. Yeah, of course. But the story is that it just didn't work yeah, when they, they tried get to it record right. it. Yeah, um, there's a few quotes about this. Well, there's some stuff that was in uh, Eric Morse's uh, Spaceman 3 book. Oh, yeah. He says, um, whether it was the overproduction or Jason's inability to lay down a solid vocal, Walking With Jesus, Sound of Confusion was abandoned despite being the title track. The song just didn't work for us. It just wasn't happening, said Sonic. So we had to ditch Sound of Confusion. Definitely one of our better tracks and which we'd already decided to call the album. And an interesting thing about that, when you consider the huge amount of um, Spaceman 3 material that's been issued since they broke up, all, you know, all the demo tapes we've had, all the little um, rehearsal sessions which have been circulating amongst bootleggers. And I think this um, Sound of Confusion version of Walking With Jesus is something that I'm not aware of ever having heard. Or anyone out having heard. Yeah, so uh, that would be really interesting. I mean, maybe we'll be disappointed if they were unhappy with it <laughs> and didn't think it was worth releasing. Maybe we'll think the same, but um, it would still be fascinating to actually hear it. Mm -hmm. 
so they went back to um, the same studio that they did the Northampton demos. Uh, it's a little unclear from some of the interviews whether their intention was to try and do another version there or whether they were just going straight in to remix the demo version, which eventually got released as a single. But one way or the other, that's that's what happened. And it is remixed quite nicely, actually. I mean, it's, it's still pretty aggressive, but it doesn't feel quite as raw and harsh. Jason's vocals in particular have got uh, an extra oomph behind them. I think they've increased the, um, the the reverb on them, haven't they? They have. They've also toned down the treble a, a little bit, I think, which was yeah. uh, one of the things with the Northampton demo, which is possibly not tea. That's not right. But the uh, on the on the single, it sounds slightly less bright, and yeah. I think a little bit more controlled. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that definitely. But it is the same recording. Mm-hmm. Um, they did also edit it a bit there's just a few seconds of intro sliced off the beginning but there's a couple of minutes taken off the end it's substantially shorter than the full Northampton demo which is a little bit ironic therefore that um when Tang were putting together the their compilation of all these singles uh, for the US market uh they seem to have used the original Northampton demo in its entire duration and unmixed state rather than the version that was actually released as a single and the reason that's such a shame is because they shaved a few minutes off the middle of roller coaster yeah I was going to say those two minutes which they included at the end of Walking with Jesus could have been the two minutes which they cut out of uh, roller coaster I think it would still have been a bit of a push to get the whole lot on one CD they might have still had to edit something but yeah they could easily have got another couple of minutes of it on there no that's a that's a major no-no I, <laughs> I still can't quite believe that they did that and in fact i don't think that that was realized until i think i can't remember whether i mentioned it to pete but i suddenly noticed that the, the version seemed to be substantially shorter in the actual track listing and this didn't make any sense and uh, uh he wasn't happy well of course that didn't happen when fire put out the, their compilation of the glass singles as chesnose and flashbacks they used the right version they didn't right. edit roller coaster but it is too long for a single cd if you take all of those first three mm-hmm. ps i mean mm-hmm. the decision that they made was to leave off um things will never be the same but it is the same version Sorry. as it's... perfect prescription but it runs at a slightly different speed, so I don't know. It does. Is it a big deal? You've got to make a choice somewhere. They made it. Made a video for Walking with Jesus for the single version, didn't they? They did. They made a video that went with that, that remix single version, and you know they're obviously going for whatever trippy effects they can. Do. <laughs> they just set up every projection light they it, could possibly find. It's already recorded. So, so what is going on? I have to I, say, it's not very easy to see and work out what no. it is. It is four-piece band. It's, psych- it's psych- psychedelic. <laughs> They've got all of their um, projectors going wildly all over them in the first place. And then on top of that, they've got um, video feedback effects. This is the effect you get if you point a, a, a video camera at its own monitor and you get the video equivalent of feedback. This is the effect that was used to create the original 1960s Doctor Who title sequences. This sort of swirling effects were, were done by pointing a camera at its own monitor. Since this has been done in colour, and it seems to be green that's favoured there, well, it is very psychedelic, but as a result, it's pretty much overwhelmed the entire yeah. image. And you is can't that, really... That on YouTube? That on YouTube? It is on YouTube, yes. We'll put a link into that so you can... Definitely do, have a look at that. Make your own things out of it. <laughs> so you can take. It is. The, the band are there. You can catch them from time to time. I mean, Jason's at the front on the right. Pete's at the front on the left. Not entirely sure if Pete's even playing a guitar. It's so unclear quite what's going on. Um, and occasionally it pans back and you can see Pete Bain there. And Roscoe is there as well in one of um, 
their first engagements with mm. with the band because uh, of course it was Natty playing on that single that uh, Natty had left by the time that it was released. Yeah. But yeah, that, interesting video, very homemade. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, never to be the first Spaceman Three record I bought, but I didn't buy it for Walking with Jesus. I bought it for Feel So Good on the other side yeah. because uh, somebody had played me that and I fell in love with it. So Walking with Jesus hit me later. I mean, it was great for you and for other people of, uh, who were clued up enough to get it at the time because it was impossible to get almost straight away yeah it was it did take me a while to find it i remember worth worth tracking down those early singles are just so rare for so many years and we're lucky that everything's been compiled now really so after the um the single release it's uh, quite a while uh, until we get to the next officially released version but in between there were various um, practices and rehearsal sessions and demos, which thanks to some of the things that have been issued in more recent years, we've, we've now got the ability to enjoy. And I think the next one that we can hear is from a rehearsal in February 1987. And this version of Walking With Jesus from that rehearsal has been released on the um, Losing Touch With Your Mind compilation, which I think is a brilliant compilation. I mean, it's, it's a bootleg, but it managed to find its way into um, a lot of record shops in the UK. I bought my copy from HMV. But it's a, but it's a bootleg with some of the details on the actual CD itself crossed out in marker pen. <laughs> um, it's just uh, the additions I've got because I'm getting them fairly early on. And for instance, they were, they were numbered, but the number is just a very crude piece of sticker, which is right. cut into some random shape mm-hmm. and stuck on when somebody's handwritten the number. So they, they, they were very odd. I mean, they are alternative versions, most of them. Some of them are only just alternative versions. I mean, the mix of Honey is so incredibly close to the the Mm. final version that you'd have to listen very hard to tell the difference. But actually, because of the fact that it's got so many of the key songs on it in really pretty good versions, it's it's a good starting place if you want to convert anyone who, who wants to know what it's all about. Anyway, the version on Walking With Jesus on there, it's still heavy, like the single, but it's heavy in a different way. I think. That's a cracking version. That. Yeah, it's it's moved on from. I mean, in the single and the, the Northampton demo, it sounds like they're um they're having a lot of fun making it. Almost like they can't believe they're they're actually in a studio properly making things, and it's all very everyone's g'd up and well, they're probably it doesn't sound like they're on heroin on that day. It sounds like they might have <laughs> taken a few stimulants. You know, it's all well, yeah. It's good. For this one, it's still very heavy, but it's. What's the word I'm after? It's another word for heavy. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's got substance. It's got ballast and dynamism. It's also uh, got that lovely little kind of reverb Spaceman 3 signature wobble going through it, that little buzz. And it's one of the best examples of it, I think you'll find on any recording. And it, I just love the fact that, I mean, because it was a rehearsal and they weren't intending to make it a proper release. I love at the very beginning, the little bits where people are just, there's little, bit of bass wobbling about and uh guitars getting ready and then suddenly yeah that massive thick guitar drone comes yeah. in and it's just <laughs> so impressively recorded and uh and i just adore it it's definitely one of my favorite versions jason's vocals are much more direct and self-assured it's it starts a, it's, to break a bit towards it's a end. really confident <laughs> performance well that is true 
the right at the very end, the vocals go a bit. Oh, that's the delivery, isn't it? Some of the guitars on there, and the drums are terribly recorded. It sounds like someone banging on a biscuit tin. But I would have to say, who cares? It's just so dynamic. It's got that vibe, isn't it? Incredibly impressive, and I absolutely adore it. Not available anywhere else, as far as I'm aware. Although that practice session that it comes from has really, really been plundered. That's the same practice session that had... um, what became known as the organ version of transparent radiation. It's Uh got um, 235 version 2, as it was called, on some of the taking drugs reissues. Uh, And I think something else I can't remember at the moment as well. But this one, only on that Losing Touch compilation, uh, which, unlike a lot of the other semi-official at best releases from the time, doesn't seem to have got absorbed into the main canon, so not necessarily that easy to to get hold of, unfortunately. Uh After that, we head into a whole load of demo versions, which we've been able to hear because of the releases of things like Forged Prescriptions. I think the next one, chronologically, is the version that's on the second disc of Forged Prescriptions. That's right. It's still got that drone, hasn't it? It's still got that background thick drone all the way through. But the general tone of the piece is just getting a little bit lighter. Yeah, there's, there's, they've taken the foot off the pedal a little bit. It, it works beautifully, but it, it's, it does. It's just you, can different. See, you can see the direction they're heading in with it. I mean, Jason's, I think, strumming on an acoustic for the first time in, in any of these ones and doing some nice little um, picking out of notes as well. It's still quite fast, but yeah, we, we're starting to see it come down a little bit. Mm. And um, we wouldn't have had any sort of bridge towards the versions that ended up on the perfect prescription it would have gone straight from this getting getting more calm but still fairly full-on if it weren't for the fact that we've got a a sort of intermediate version on um how the blues should have turned out on the second disc of that i feel you have to take full credit well (laughs) that was yeah one of the series of disagreements i had with pete when we were compiling that album i think that Pete thought that there had been enough versions of Walking with Jesus out there for people to not really need any more. But I thought that this one was so nice. It was so kind of delicate uh, that, that most of the guitar seems to have gone. There's the, the organ seems to be at the, at the fore. And it, it was such a nice link between the other versions that were around that I, I argued for its inclusion and and there it is so i'm i'm well, i'm proud of that one <laughs> yeah i think we're very grateful for that i can sort of see pete's point of view that it is a song for which there are a lot of versions out there yeah. so yeah that that would make sense where he's coming from but certainly your perspective is the one i'm very glad one out there because it is it's a bridge isn't it it's, it's the first it one that you can say is getting properly serene it's the first one that's completely organ driven and the Absolutely. guitars are now taking their place, helping to fill things out rather than being the, the dominating factor. And uh, yeah, it, it's lovely. And Jason's... Slower calm, tempo. Yeah, calming the vocals down a bit more as well. It is, it's really lovely. And yeah, a shame that that isn't a little more widely available because, you know, those compilations were exceedingly limited, made order things only. And some of the tracks have been subsequently sort of collected up and put out on on Space Age, but not that one, unfortunately. There was that DJ Tones EP, which was largely made up of stuff from those compilations. It was, so that's an essential release for anybody who doesn't have it. Oh yeah, I mean, originally just put out on Space Age on CD, but Don Martin's label, Great Pop Supplement, put out a vinyl version as well. 
Uh, I'm afraid I've no idea how readily available any of these things are. I imagine the vinyl's pretty collectible. They tend to go pretty quickly. More readily available than the How the, how the Blues CDs, I think. Well, that's definitely true. I mean, like a lot of these things, that uh, people have, have uploaded some of them to YouTube and, and we'll have a look around. And if this is there, then we'll put a link to it, of course. But it is a lovely little bridging version. And the final one we've got to show the development before we end up at the perfect prescription is the one that's on the first disc of Forged Prescriptions. And now it's really a completely organ-driven affair, and the organ is being phased really nicely. The whole thing's being phased, isn't it? Continually all the way through. And that's really a sort of soporific, enveloping it's, version. It's, it's so different. I mean, there were endless delays with Forged Prescriptions, and I, at the time, I wondered if it was ever going to come out. I was so desperate to hear the music that was on it, because we'd all heard this stuff about how they'd made Perfect Prescription different because they felt that the songs as they had originally recorded them couldn't be performed live and for me this is the absolute example of this there's no way you could perform this version of walking with jesus live it just just couldn't be done it doesn't, doesn't work like that and it's not only completely different it's for me this is my favorite version uh having been completely addicted to the one on perfect prescription when this came out it, it, it i was flawed it was it was so beautiful jason's vocals were so different and this is one of the ones where he kind of plays down the here it comes line it's 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 he's relaxed about it there's no desperation he sounds confident and there's something about his vocal delivery on this that mm. sends tingles down my spine every time i hear it it is completely different to any other version in that respect isn't it i mean even the um the melody line is completely different yeah, he's singing a, in a completely different way to to the way we become accustomed to on all the ones up to now, and then mm. it goes back to the original arrangement on perfect description. Yeah. But it's a really interesting experiment. Yeah, almost uh, under his breath some of the time. It's it's very nice. relaxed, isn't it? Yeah, wonderful. And I know what you mean about the excitement from it because you know, like uh, many of us, I'm sure our enthusiasm for things sort of ebbs and flows. And um, I think a, a before forged prescriptions came out i probably had a year or so of of not giving as much attention to space and three as, as i would have done previously and instantly i started playing that it all came back so much more and that song is is key to it. it's the second song isn't it first of all you've got that incredible things will never be the same which doesn't sound very different to the album version it, uh, in fact it's slightly less finished than the album version but the thing that hit me within seconds of putting that cd on was just how brilliant it sounds it's just so clear and mm. crisp like it could have been recorded yesterday but it, it does make you wonder how those takes were actually recorded because you couldn't have got jason to do the take on on the demo on forged prescriptions on on the first disc and then say right we're going to no. do the we're going to do a different version now and do the way that he actually does it on the on the, on the finished perfect prescription well, we know that they were in the studios for months and months and months yeah so for anyone who hasn't heard the story before that they were looking to record the album and vhs studios in rugby were wanting to upgrade their eight track soundboard to a 16 track so Spaceman 3 said, well, we'll give you some money towards the desk if you give us studio time in exchange. And I think that seemed like quite a good deal to the studio at the time. 
I don't think what they what they hadn't really anticipated was quite how much time the band were going to take up in exchange. And they were there for such a long time. And they've told stories about how a lot of the recordings were done to a backdrop of uh, endless supplies of hash. And um, which is why some of the early versions that were circulating amongst traders were called the out of it sessions. Uh, and oh, yeah, going back right. to what you were saying, I think we were expecting when Forged Prescriptions came out that it was just going to be a reproduction of, of those out of it demos. And some of them are the same versions, but some of them are completely new and unheard. And this version, this this organ version of Walking With Jesus is one of them. I don't think anyone had suspected that before. So I just remember when I first heard it after the first of all, the thrill and the clarity of that things will never be the same. And then this came on and I thought bloody hell there's two more discs of this is it all going to be this sort of revelation and it is it's it's absolutely gorgeous and at the time i i did think that probably it was worth the price of the whole set on its own i, I do still adore it but i'm going to come back to this when we've got through the last version and say why i'm not going to count it as one of the two versions that i think Ooh. are the real definitive <laughs> which brings us on to to the final step because We've seen in those last few organ-driven versions how things have gone from the, the sort of full-on assault of the February 87 rehearsal, and it's calmed down more and more and more. And by the time we get to the perfect prescription, it is sort of barely there. It's so laid back, isn't it? So incredibly softly driven. I mean, it's still organ-driven, but even the organ has been taken down a notch. Um, the bass has now got a clarity that it's never had before probably just because mm. it's not fighting with anything else and this is a good point to say that that baseline is absolutely phenomenal and really mm. helps to make that song i've no idea whether it's something that jason wrote or pete bain wrote there's a an interview that that pete kemba did with a french fanzine called upside down in 1990 and this probably sounds a little bit odd because it's been double translated but uh, the question was, so you write music for all instruments? He says, no, it's complicated. It's not like classical music. We only write the lyrics, and the tune, the guitar, and the rest of the band plays. Jason wrote the lyrics for the verses of Walking With Jesus, and I took care of those from the chorus. He composed the melody, to which I only added the hum of the guitars. You can't say it's writing something. It was just one note. So, you know, he's saying that his contribution really was that phenomenal drone that runs through the early ones and presumably he's now taken on the organ duties to do the same thing in these ones from that it's a little unclear when he says you know we write the main bits and the others write their parts seems to be what he's saying so it could well have been a Pete Bain baseline having said that there's a little bit of evidence of it being played in a, an early live version that we'll talk about shortly where Pete's not in the band but that doesn't mean he might come up with it before he left or maybe I don't think it actually matters particularly and the playing of it is great there and we've talked about the dedication that people need to have to play some of this stuff in the past but on this really quiet version that really sticks out for me with the bass line mm. because it's so exposed you know it would reveal faults very easily and uh, and well there aren't any it's just lovely it's, it's it's there all the way through that it's even there when the organ drops out, uh, well, sorry when the guitars drop out near the end it's just down to organ and bass just before jason comes back with forgive me sweet lord and it's, it's just a centering moment his vocals are uh, almost desperate in that version he they sounds really are. almost on the edge his, his delivery so well fragile is 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 a good word for well it. i think 
I'll say now about, I mean, I loved listening to all of those versions. And while we were getting ready to do this, I put a playlist of all of them together. And I thought it'd be a bit of a struggle to get through that a few times to familiarize myself with them all. But it was an absolute joy. And yeah. I haven't got at all bored <laughs> of it. I mean, yeah, perhaps could have missed off the alternate mix of the 1984 demo, because as far as I can see, <laughs> It is identical to the original it does one. Seem on very, the... very similar. Doesn't I it? wonder if whoever was putting out these CDs just felt that it would seem like a ripoff without a few more tracks on there. So uh, very well, slightly. They, they did used to play quite a few tunes twice live. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, it hasn't been a chore at all. It's been an absolute joy. They're all great to listen to for all the reasons I think we said. But if I were to come down to two versions, that I can't really choose between because they're both coming at it from such a different angle. And the first one is that February 87 rehearsal. It's so powerful. It's so self-assured. And that thing you were saying at the beginning about what meaning the lyrics are in, in, involved with, it, it, it comes down to the way it's being performed. And on that, that rehearsal one, Jason sounds so confident that it's like the conversation between the narrator and Jesus is sort of, yeah, yeah, I know. I know you're telling me I shouldn't be doing this. I know I'm doing wrong things, but I know what I'm doing. It's fine. You know, I can handle it, as it were. You know, it's the arrogance of youth, of thinking you know exactly what you're doing and that everything is fine. And because of that, I think it just gives it that extra layer of power. That I don't think there's, for example, in the, the, the Northampton demo and 12-inch single version. I mean, they're fine, but they don't sound to me like they're being narrated by someone who's living it. And in that 87 rehearsal, it really feels to me... This is coming from someone who knows what they're talking about. By the time we get to the perfect prescription, I think the same thing for a different reason. This now feels a little bit less sure of itself. And uh, this is all rather helped by the fact, I think that Jason sounds like he might have a slight cold at the beginning, as if the meaning is now a little bit of a, no, it's okay, I've just got a cold. The, the, the narrator now feels that perhaps things have gone a bit too far, a bit further than they were expecting when they got involved in all of this. And that, as a result, the same lines are being said with a little bit of fatalism and a little bit of resigned, yeah, I know, but it's too late now, feeling to them. So the vulnerability is definitely part of that. I think I get that. I think I uh, get that. I think that the, 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 the version on Perfect Prescription, the way that Jason's vocal comes out to start with, the fact that it kind of comes out in the darkness, the music anyway, uh -huh. and this like I said, sort of desperate sounding vocal starts. Uh, but by the time he gets to the well bit in the, in the, in the chorus, it's like he's, he's almost found his mojo and his, and his confidence is there. And then towards the end, after the, the sound of confusion, sound of love, when suddenly it goes into here it comes and they're done slightly higher, slightly more gently, almost as if his attention has slightly gone away from the fact that he's meant to be telling this story now because everything is kicking in it's quite it feels like an absolutely literal here it comes um you know excuse me for a moment i can't give you my full attention sort of thing really also in this version there's an absolutely fantastic um instrumental gap in the between the very first sound of confusion there is yeah sound of love and this is the sort of thing I was saying in our in our first episode about you know perhaps peak embers influence is perhaps to push them a little further with some of the drone and the repet repetition, mm. perhaps a little more than you might normally. I mean, I've listened to it so many times, especially recently, that I can now predict when it's going to come back in. But if you're a little less familiar with it, it feels like you'd be listening to it going, surely now, 
oh surely now and it's it's a lot longer than that really yeah, there's never any rush <laughs> exactly well not that kind of rush anyway. <laughs> um so that those are my two favorites i think i would go with you on the perfect prescription version because it was it was the first version that i really fell in love with and that album had such an impact on me anyway but then i i, I go back to that the the first disc of forge forge prescription just because it's so different his vocals are so different his his even the tune is slightly different mm. at, at times during the chorus it's there's there's something about that I've, I, I don't actually which know which which version they they would have put out if they hadn't thought about replicating it live whether that mm. might have appeared first i don't know it's a, a question for pete and jason we yeah should ask them. that is a lovely one on that first torch prescription stick and i do love listening to it but i think in terms of the the way i've tried to explain it it doesn't quite feel like it's it's coming from that deep place of someone who is living what they're saying although the way you've described it makes me have see that in a different perspective because that's meant to be if you're saying that's the everything's worked out fine yeah he sounds yeah. comfortable it's the blissed out version yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, fair enough but then they were very good at that spaceman three the kind of juxtaposition of yeah, i mean feel so good is the perfect mm. one is it is it heaven or is it hell I, I, yeah i do feel good but oh, i ain't gonna die it's mm. it's which way am i gonna go well, Walking with Jesus was a live staple for a lot of uh, Spaceman 3 uh, performances, and uh, someone who was involved in a couple of them was local Northampton musician Pat Fish, main man of the Jazz Butcher, who'd been making music for a while before Spaceman 3 came along, still making it today, contemporary and friend of the band. And Pat very kindly spoke to us about some of the connections that he had with the band and this song in particular. You went to uh, the recording for Sound of Confusion and they said that they did a version of, of Walking with Jesus there that didn't quite work out. Um, any memories of that or any other bits of that recording? I don't really recall them having a go at Walking with Jesus at that session. I mean, it, it's quite possible that they did. I was there for two or three days. Um, but I remember them. Uh, the first thing they did was uh, losing touch with my mind. I can recall that. And that was that was quite fractious. That was that took a little while to settle in. But uh, my chief memory of that session is uh, the deal with um, roller coaster. And they started recording that grinding away on a. And um, Bob Lamb, the produ uh, producer, his his missus came in and asked, "Do anyone want a cup of tea?" I said, "Yeah, sure." And so she went piling off to make tea. And um, the spacemen kept grinding away, no vocal or anything. They just got it down as an instrumental. And um, she returned some considerable time later to find them still grinding away on A. And she stopped, stared through the control room window at what was going on. And then she turned around to me with a look of some bafflement on her face. She just went, they're really into what they're doing, aren't they? <laughs> and yeah that's 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 my abiding memory of that session is just that moment because it did kind of sum things up you know i remember pete saying from some of those sessions that uh that there were a couple of people in the in the in the studio actually actually saying you know are we are we really doing this is this is a, are we really making an album are they really recording this music they were just in kind of totally incredulous Thank yeah I, I don't think bob really knew what he had on his hands there no. 
Well, I think that that album, I, I'm, I'm curious that you've said that um, that they asked you to produce that. I be, would have been mm. fascinated to have heard that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd have done that good a job, honestly. I mean, I was young and overexcitable myself. I might not have done too well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when you see when you see the progression to Perfect Prescription, hmm. you know, that, I, I could imagine myself working on that. Oh, it's, I, it's just impossible oh, to say, isn't it? I mean, they didn't have very long. I think they only had five or six days. Yeah. As they say, it is what it is. Well, in, in late December 87, uh, they played a gig at Northampton Arts Centre and uh, you do the vocals for Walking With Jesus on that. Do you remember how all that stuff came about? No, I mean, we were hanging around quite a lot in those days. There was the three bands. There was our lot, there was the Spacemen and there was the Perfect Disaster. And we were all kind of in, in and out of each other's houses with each other's tellies, you know. And um, they, were, they were playing this Northampton date. And um, our saxophone player, Alex Green, his missus, Jasmine, ran the venue. So, you know, it was playing host. One week it would be our lot. One week it would be the Perfects. One week it would be the Spacemen. So it was all very sort of pally. And you didn't get big audiences either because it was way out on the edge of town. So... Um, it was almost like a little private club sometimes, you know. And so I guess we thought, you know, there would be no harm in letting Fishy have a go at walking with Jesus. And I was very excited about it. I really thought I was going to be Otis Redding or something. But, I mean, I've heard the tape since. <laughs> well, it's quite an exceptional today. recording, really, because apart from, you know, the difference of having yourself on the vocals, and I think Alex is still playing the sax as well. Yeah, he does some sax on the show, yeah. He also does the sax on Come Down Easy, which they, they opened with, and it makes it quite mm. a special version, really. Mm. Yeah, it's nice. No, it's, it's lovely. Is, yeah. it, is it? I gather it's a bit of a strange venue. There's no separation between the stage and, and the audience? No, you're just in a corner. <laughs> you're literally in a corner of the room. We did a, a show up there one time around about that time, and the Sand Kings opened for us. And lovely lads, great, quite a good little band, actually, but... Um, Boy, did they leave a mess. By the time we got on that stage, it was like three inches deep in lager, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a, like I say, it was quite a casual thing. You didn't get huge audiences. You'd get, like, the faithful sitting cross-legged on the floor, but you wouldn't, you, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really a, a proper gig in a way. So, yeah, we would fool around and cross-pollinate, you know? Would that have been a song you think that they would have asked you to sing or was that one that you particularly liked and would have chosen if you had a choice out of the set? Um, I may well have chosen it um, given the choice but I rather suspect I was just invited to do that one. Mm -hmm. There was always a thing about me and Walking With Jesus and I don't really understand it because I think as you pointed out in writing somewhere you know it existed before I met them but they had they had a version that wasn't the single version they had another version where Jason was much more prominent on acoustic guitar. And I always remember Jason calling that the Jazz Butcher mix. <laughs> Has that ever appeared on any of the subsequent? That's a very good question. It might be on Taking Drugs. Well, whatever their reason for getting yeah. you to do that one in Northampton, it must have stuck with someone because when they had uh, the get-together Fanati at Hoxton in 2010, uh, you did it again with them then. Things very yeah, different that by was that comical. time. What about that day? Well, that, that was a beautiful day. Were you there? I was there. I was 
I went to the Sheffield one where there was uh, there was sadly no no reunion, but uh, it was still it was still a great do. But uh, I'd I'd love to have gone to the one in London. Yeah, it, there was a lot of love in the room. It was really nice. Um, but the difficulty that came to pass there, and I mean you can see it on the YouTube version, is that we get through a couple of verses, and I think, okay, get out of the way, let the guitar players go. And Mark really went. Mark went haywire on the guitar. He came blazing in. And it was fabulous. And I wasn't about to stop him. I wasn't about to come in and cut him dead. You know, it's uh, not my place. <laughs> and so on he went. And on. And on. And on. And just about the time I'm thinking, well, listen, sweet Lord. Sonic just looked across the stage nodded his head and stopped the whole thing <laughs> never got to finish it you can't really see it on the youtube thing because of the angle that the the guy with the camera is but i remember i was in the yeah. middle fairly near the front in the middle looking on at you and i remember when they stopped you sort of looked around to pete and the others in a sort of oh aren't we doing the last verse then sort of look on your face yeah, yeah. In the past, I'd never really got my head around the final bits. You know, um, those wings are going to fail me, but it could have done much worse. Um, and I'd worked that up. I knew where I was. I was going to sing it properly this time. Uh-huh. And then it stopped. <laughs> Mark and I were talking in a previous episode when we were talking about a, a gig they did. It was... Um... Rose Club in, in Cologne. Oh, in Cologne. Uh, it's yes. a great recording of a great gig. And we were talking then about the version of Roller Coaster they do. And I don't think this was unusual for them back in the day anyway, that they would uh, get so into what they were doing, they might forget exactly where they were. Because Roller Coaster's got three verses, and on that occasion, they only play one of them. They go on and do <laughs> so much, so much of the <laughs> thrashing around on A that uh, by the time they finished, the, they, they hadn't really got started. And, yeah. <laughs> and you're right, Mark does go for it. He goes on for quite a while, doesn't he? But that's not unusual for a mm. spaceman-type event. They could have carried on for another five minutes and let you finish it off. <laughs> I just thought. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I just, I was knocked out by Mark that night. He was he was raging. And it was really funny as well that night because people would come sneaking on, you know? <laughs> and there was, the, you know, this big fuss about Kevin Shields being there and everything. But uh, I remember Dean from the, um, what do you call him, the Kool-Aid Electric Company, just sneaking on with a guitar. <laughs> you know, people, seriously, I mean, he, he stayed there for the rest of the night, I think. <laughs> It's weird with Kevin, because I remember looking over at him, and it reminded me when I saw him when he was touring with Primal Scream as well, similar sort of thing. You'd look over at him occasionally, and it looked like he was doing stuff that was nothing to do with what was going on. Like the tempo Mm -hmm. of his strumming didn't seem to fit in with anything else, but Mm -hmm. whatever it was, it was just ambience, background stuff that seemed to work pretty well, I thought so. And it's interesting what you said about there being, you know, a lot of love in the room, because one of the things about watching the clips of of that gig on YouTube, there's a lot of smiling going on on stage. Yeah, in the audience, too. Oh, yeah. It's just uh, there is a good atmosphere. It just looks like a great night. And it's lovely to see see Will in particular looking really made up, which, of course, he should do, because he was really responsible for the whole thing, wasn't he? He was doing so much stuff. He was. He was. He was doing the um, kind of little tour. I mean, I, I, 
obviously hung out a little bit when he did the thing in Sheffield. And I think there was some music that night later on, but we had to um, mm-hmm. split a little bit earlier. But uh, but it was him that was running that. And I think it was good. I think he raised quite a bit of money as well. He did a lot of good stuff in that year around that time, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah Will's, uh, Will's a tremendous force for good, actually. I mean, he did very similar thing for me after I'd had my cancer treatment. Uh-huh. Um, we had a little thing down here. And um, yeah, Will's a real... You know, he will get up and he will get his hands dirty for someone else. Yeah. No, he also loves to also loves to grin when he's on stage. I think Will looks so cool when he's playing. He really does. I saw, last time I saw it would have been when he was in uh, Dead Dead Skeletons, and it was exactly the same. He was just beaming the whole way through the gig. Yeah. No, I love him. Say that the the gig where you where you sang Walking with Jesus was that December '87. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. So it was so the big European tour where they recorded performance was only a couple of months later. And obviously, mm. fairly well known on that, Pete mentions Walking with Jesus and says that he wrote it for you, which, yeah. uh, considering they'd already written it by the time you'd met, I'd a- always wondered how that kind of connection happened. I think that I think that's just Pete being dry. Why he thought anyone in the milk fed would uh, get their heads around a remark like that, we'll never know. But uh, it's kind of sweet to hear it on the record. It reminds me of a show I saw them do in um, Douglas Hart's Club, Speed, on the Charing Cross Road, which I think would have been 87 again, actually, uh-huh. maybe early 88. And um, they were taking tremendously long time between tunes. I don't know what was up, whether he was fi- fi- fixing the keyboard or whether they were just tuning up or what, but they were taking really long time. And the crowd, they were on their side, but you know, they were all hipsters, but in the old sense of the word. Um, and they, they were all in on it, but they were getting a little restive. And I can remember about the third time it happened in the set, Pete just went to the microphone and he went, yeah, you don't see many bands with good gaps these days, do you? <laughs> There's a lot of humor about the Spaceman 3, that, you know, because sometimes it's so dry, people don't clock it. Well, fascinating stuff. And thanks so much to Pat. Uh, on the day that we were, we spoke to him, there were a few little technical problems, which meant that by the time we did the recording, we didn't give him, pr- him either a proper introduction or a proper goodbye at the end. So um, thank you so much, Pat. That was uh, much appreciated. Oh, it's a brilliant chat. And what fascinating stories as well. I mean, uh, of course, I wasn't, wasn't around to see that um, Northampton Arts Centre show in 87, but as I said when, when talking with them, was lucky enough to be there for the 2010, well, you know, as we said in the discussion, we shouldn't really call it a reunion, and it's been described as a reunion of friends on, mm. uh, on the Facebook postings, and I think that's how it was advertised at, at the time, which is a, a good way of looking at it. I mean, it's an interesting question as to what would actually constitute a Spaceman 3 reunion, but quite clearly, you couldn't have it without Jason Pierce and Pete Kember, and since Jason wasn't able to get there for whatever reason on that day that's not a spaceman three reunion beyond that you can argue about who else needs to be involved but we've got to i think admit that was a bare minimum but there again do we really want or need a spaceman three reunion i would perhaps suggest that it wouldn't be the best idea and that uh, i'd rather people were getting on a bit better as they seem to be these days rather than risk it all for that i mean how lovely would it be if um Perhaps one of the guys came out and did some encores with the others on one of their dates or something. I mean, that would just be an absolute dream come true. Or even just contributed a little bit on somebody else's record. Yeah, yeah, well, we we can dream, I suppose. That would make me smile. Yeah, but um, I think on the whole, most of this 
magic is left best left where it was but it was lovely to see pat on that day and like i say i will never forget that um uh, look over is when he realizes that they finished a bit before he was ready for them to, to carry on and that was uh, that was what they opened with for that gig and uh then went on to do a, a revolution and suicide and encore with a, a nice sort of slow jam which was i thought quite fitting really rather than um just try and do another standard number from the old days so it's really nice well pat's talked about some of the live versions and we couldn't possibly uh go through a, a list of all of the ones that were done over the years it was played so much but we've, we've chosen a few that we think are um are interesting in their own right and the first one's one we, we've talked about already because in our second podcast we talked about the gig at the mercy park leisure center mm-hmm. november 85 that's right but it's worth going back and, and just talking about the walking with jesus from that as well it's for a start it's the earliest live recording that i'm aware of being out there um and the fact that it's um so raw and again tremolo heavy uh there's no bass because it's just pete and jason and, and natty God, um, they sound loud though <laughs> it does doesn't it i mean i don't know whether this is because the hall was so empty <laughs> whether the echoing from the walls has part of it but yeah it does sound i mean people really missed out on that night by not mm. being more in the audience um yeah it sounds ferocious jason really does on this occasion genuinely sound like he might have a bit of a cold he sounds a little bit hoarse throughout most of it but um it doesn't undermine its its power at all one thing that um i notice is that jason's got some vocal inflections on it which um well you'll know what i'm talking about mark here although i'm afraid i might be losing uh, anyone who's not a, a hawkwind fan here when calvert singing on quark strangeness and charm and you've got a line like uh, Einstein was not a happy fellow when he sings the fellow the sort of first half is like a semitone higher than it should be and the second half is a semitone lower than it should be uh, which is an interesting inflection although he gets a bit wearing when he does it an awful lot and Jason's doing a little bit like that on some of the the lines here I think I'll be in company with all my friends it's like an extra yeah, little bit lower down than it should be. And I'm wondering if that's intentional. I mean, they always denied having any um, influence or link with Hawkwind. If they did have a link to Hawkwind, that certainly wouldn't be the Hawkwind album that I would say. No, it's very untypical, isn't it? It's not one of the space rock ones. No. That's, no. Uh, that's just what it reminded me of. It's an interesting inflection, but he does seem to drop that pretty quickly <coughs> afterwards. It's also early enough, of course, that they're still singing the, the heroin lyrics as well. Mm-hmm. It's all for, but it is it is that nice raw one and it's played pretty much in that style for quite a lot throughout 1986 there's quite a few versions we could choose i mean the one that we've been listening to is from uh march 86 at the reverberation club so yeah. this is a club that pete kember and, and gav wilson put on at the blitz pub in rugby i mean for someone like me it's got this sort of mythical status it's like spaceman three's cbgb's or something like that really although i gather it was just a small tatty room (laughs) at the back of a pub and that actually seeing it in reality wouldn't be that impressive but because it's in this small room and they all their friends and all the other wild people from the rugby scene of all sorts of different persuasions were there it's got a nice audience sound as well I think there's a kind of deeper sound as well. They've obviously refined things a little bit in the space of the four months or so, three months even. Well, absolutely. I think that Mercy Park gig might be the last one before Pete Bain rejoined. He was certainly back by December 
85, which is only a, a week or so later. And by now, you know, well bedded in, you can hear that it's it's that bass is, is giving it that little bit of heft as well there. Jason's dropped the heroin lyrics and, and they're gone for quite a while now. Pretty powerful vocal performance. I it really is. He's he's not holding back. It's a little it's moving towards that more powerful 87 version that I like. Although of course this is still before they've recorded the uh oh no, wait a minute. Uh, this this would be shortly after they recorded the Northampton demos, oh. but before they went back and remixed it for a single. So yeah, I guess they are moving towards that that heavier and guitar led style. <laughs> it is just it's just lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it, it, Jason not not holding back. I mean it, it for people who haven't heard those earlier gigs he couldn't half bellow when he went for it it was uh, amazing delivery and the same thing's true in the next version that that we've chosen which is from uh, just over a year later so we're now into um march 87 and this is at the now how do i pronounce this correctly can you help me out uh Ancien probably probably guess Ancien. Ancien Belgique. Okay. That's the uh, one with the cool yellow poster, I think. Is it, it is, is it yes, with the um the Alice of Wonderland mushroom yeah. Yeah. poster, yes. So this is from their first little jaunt to Europe. Just a handful of dates. It hardly counts as a, a proper tour. I think it's five or six dates. And it seems to have been a, a really interesting trip for them. A lot of the, well, from the ones we've got recordings of, there's a lot of good natured stuff going on. They seem to have a really good crowd in for this one who are really into them. But it is a gig where um, they are beset by uh, the infamous Space in Three technical problems. There's lots of um, broken strings and, and tuning up. And this version, and apologies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they do need on this occasion two attempts to get through walking with you know, there's one thing about them every time they started a song again which they always seemed to do when it broke down it didn't seem to matter how far through they got they'd always start again from the beginning but this is also fun because um you know pete's having a bit of chat with the crowd beforehand and uh, in fact you know I hope it's not too frustrating for anyone listening that we're talking about all these recordings and then we're not playing them I mean we're not really wanting to have to get through the grey areas of clearances with music. So the plan is really not to do that. But I can't see that anyone's going to be able to have the copyright on chatting between songs. So here's how Pete introduces uh, <laughs> introduces a song that time. This next one then is for you, Volume Addicts. A hard-hitting mainline injection. Sorry about that. We've got broken strings. This next song we're going to do for you is about a dream. I had a long dream yesterday. Interspersed with pieces of reality. So this is about that dream. So I think we broke another guitar string. Sorry about it. I'm here to do a lot of apologising. 
Well, I'll try again. Anyway, I was telling you about this dream. It's probably worth saying, on that tour, uh, Pete told me that I don't think they had any official t-shirts made they turned up at a load of the gigs and half the audience had made their own shirts which just completely blew them away oh wow that's incredible well that was about that dream apparently we haven't really chosen to go through many 1988 versions because there's one that many people will know very well of course which is uh, from the the Malkwick from the Milky Way in Amsterdam that was released uh, as part of um, performance and I know that's always been a favorite version of yours I, I love that version there's something about it. it. It does everything which that track is meant to do. But then the, the beautiful little Wawa solo at, at, at the end, the way it just kind of squeezes in is, is just lovely. Mm. I mean, the, the, the previous one we were talking about, you can see that why they were doing that at February 87 rehearsal that I love so much. They've been rehearsing for that mini tour and it's really full on and it's, uh, you know, massive droney guitars. And again, Jason really shouting it out. But by the time of the performance, version it's not quite perfect prescription it's not that laid back but it's like one of those intermediate on the way down yeah yeah it's really like the um the how the blues version i suppose is a model for it it is a bit there's, there's something about the keyboard which kind of links to that but the way the way the keyboard just bleeds in at the beginning of that is is fantastic well, someone else who got in touch uh, via the Facebook group was matt walter who also has a particular liking for for this version you know, I thought it was interesting when you put that out there about Facebook, about that song, Walking with Jesus specifically, because I do agree that it's probably their most iconic song. And I think that shows because they revisited it quite a bit throughout their careers. And it sort of evolved a little. Some of the versions are, are a little different. Take the one from their first recording. You know, it was you know, a bit bluesy, you know, all the way up to some of the spiritualized versions that are just so much bigger. So I was sort of propelled to respond because I agree with that being the case. And I think the band would maybe agree as well because of how often they revisited the song. And it's, it's also has a special place in my heart because it was the first Spaceman 3 song that I heard. The first one I heard was from the um, Amsterdam live performance and uh, a friend of mine had put it on a mixtape and I was, you know, at that time, I think this was like maybe 90 or 91 and Spaceman 3 were certainly not, not a well-known band in America at all. They weren't on any of the college radio stations or 120 Minutes was a popular program on MTV that played indie and alternative and things like that. And they weren't on there. <laughs> so that version was, I would guess, it's probably not the first version that most fans probably have heard I, I don't know but yeah a friend of mine had made it put it on a mixtape and you know I said this is like 90 91 I was late teens and I was really into like Velvet Underground and the usuals Jesus Mary Chain and that sort of thing you know and so I think sonically it was like there hearing this song was there and I've always been in the simplistic simple 
music, you know, but this like, it's, it's really hard to describe it just, I'll never forget hearing that for the first time and just really being blown away. And I was like, what is that? You know, and it just, it led me on a path to <laughs> fandom, I guess, you know what I mean? And pre-internet, you know, not easy to find a lot of information. So like, I really didn't know anything about Spaceman 3 until information started to come out via the internet. All I knew was what I'd heard. It was amazing. You know I mean? They're a great band. They've, they've come to be one of my favorite bands. It was the first song song I ever heard so that always holds a special place to me and I think it's definitely their most iconic song. Cheers Matt thanks for braving the time zone differences to help record that for this episode. Well we're very lucky in that something has come to our attention only in the last few days in that I know that much as you've always loved that version one of the things that you found a little frustrating was the fact that it fades out rather than stopping. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's come to light to us recently? Well, to, to put it in a nutshell, when I ran Runcible Records, I ran it with a close friend of mine called Pete Coyne, uh, who I'm still very good friends with, who now runs something called Starside Records, a little bit more reggae-orientated, but Pete just loves good music. We formed Runcible Records. We specialised in Spaceman 3. Then Pete moved to Cornwall. I moved to Yorkshire, and he carried on doing his own thing. I kind of stopped doing Runcible, but we stayed in touch. And he ended up buying a record collection from a guy called Pat Skinner, who was a sound engineer on the 88 tour. And as part of this collection were some Spaceman 3 cassettes. I <laughs> hassled Pete this week because I knew we were doing the podcast today. And I said, is there any way you can get me the Walking with Jesus versions from that? Particularly because one of the tapes that Pete had was the Milk Veg tape. So we just... 24 hours ago heard the full version of that walking with jesus from the milk bag, uh, which i don't believe is actually out there anyway uh, anywhere and in this version shortly after the fade out the organ packs up uh, again with apologies from pete who says they're going to play something else but he basically <laughs> says the organs packed up because of the abuse it's had throughout the show uh, <laughs> well um in uh, you know i've just said about how that we're not planning to include music in this but that is only a final few chords on the organ and then pete's chatter so i don't see why everyone shouldn't be able to enjoy that here Absolutely. we go <laughs> So we'll, uh, we'll do something else. The, the organ's gone out of tune through being abused too much. You didn't notice, but I can tell. Well, how fantastic is that? I mean, I think I should make it clear. When you say it's the Milkweg tape, it's not the master copy of performance. It is a tape. There's, there's a lot missing, such as bass and bits yeah. and bobs. I don't know quite what uh, generation cassette that is, but yeah. it does at least show us what happened after the fade out. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And we're hoping that we'll we'll have a closer look at all that uh, in the not too distant future. And, uh, and the thing I'm interested in, apart from listening to it, of course, is the fact that it seems to suggest that the running order on some of the release versions isn't quite the... The running order that it actually happened in i mean particularly the tang one which is trying to reincorporate the um 3b3 extra mm. tracks and yeah not entirely sure if they're in the right place i think i think 
from the way that Pete says, you know, we'll play something else. But it really was going to be, I think, the final number. And I think that what they do is is just um, drag out repeater. That's not the first time they've played it live, but it was sort of fit the bill as to, oh, God, what are we going to do? Oh, I'll just drone away for a little bit. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, how how interesting to hear that. I think I'd always had long speculated that it probably faded out because of a typical Spaceman 3 collapse of the song somehow. I think I had had in fact heard that, that something went wrong with the equipment and that's why they needed to fade out. And for, for anyone getting excited about these cassettes, this is something which I think we will come back to at some point. We are yet to hear the full versions or the full performances on these. But no, I wouldn't expect anything revelatory because um, there are quite a lot of recordings from that 88 European tour. And the reason why we weren't going to talk about it in, in any real detail is because uh, they're all pretty much the same as a performance version. I mean, they're lovely, yeah. but there's not a lot of variety. It's not much to get more excited beyond what you would have already heard on there. So, you know, we live in hope and, and it'll be interesting to hear it. I think just so that people don't get super excited or get their hopes up, these tapes just seem to consist of a couple of other dates from that tour, which I don't believe are currently circulating, but I don't know that I've got everything. And as I say, there are a lot of them already circulating. So if, like me, you've occasionally sat down and gone through these things, you do get perhaps into half a dozen of them and go, yeah, I've heard this. I need a bit of a break now. <laughs> Come back to it fresh in the future. But, you know, we live in hope. So obviously a, a, a big thanks to my old buddy Pete Coyne and to Pat Skinner for supplying us with these uh, oral delights. Thanks, guys. Extremely grateful to both of them. I mean, people who made all these recordings at the time in any context are sort of our, our heroes in retrospect, but these ones are uh, particularly nice. It's someone who was involved at the time as well. There's another one that was a little earlier than this, which I should have mentioned since we're in talking about the on the stage chatting. The very first date on that 88 European tour at the Rose Club, the gig that we talked about in our first podcast. They don't play Walking With Jesus in that. It comes in pretty quickly in the tour after that. But uh, someone does call out for it towards the end. And uh, this is how that goes. So yeah, that uh, amusing stuff. Nice one, Pete. <laughs> after this, after that European tour, they do um, carry on playing for a, f a few dates on a short UK tour when they came back. But then it largely gets a break from the set. Of course, we haven't got every live recording they made, but we haven't really got any evidence of it being played between April 88 and March 89. It's great because I saw them for the first time in May 1988, <laughs> just after that tour. So uh, even though I saw Spaceman 3 five times, uh, I never saw them play Walking With Jesus, oh, ironically. <laughs> If uh, you just hung on or, or been to a few of those later ones, um, I think it, it comes back again on the following European tour. When yeah. So this is the uh, April, May uh, European tour of 1989. 
with revised and, lyrics again. Well, uh, in this tour, the, the the heroin lyrics appear to be making a comeback on on pretty much every version I've heard. I don't think on everyone, but on the vast majority of them, it's in at least one of the two places it was. No idea what Jason's motivation for that was. Maybe he's just a bit more relaxed about it. Maybe it's the fact that they're away from home and that no one will care quite as much. Most of the versions that they play on that tour don't really sound very different from the way it was being played previously. I mean, there's a slightly different dynamic going on, of course, because we've now got a new lineup. Mm. We've got Will's bass and, and Johnny's very regimented uh, rhythms keeping it going there as well. But there is a particular exception, which I think is is quite lovely, because when they return to the Rose Club in Cologne, right at the end of April 89, for whatever reason, they, they ramp it up and play a, a big fuzzed up version again that's right it's it's far less gentle and uh, that's really lovely there's a full recording of the 88 rose club gig on youtube but for the 89 one i don't believe there is but there is the version of walking with jesus is on there so we'll put a link to that and that's just it's just really nice you can you can mm. feel as well the band uh, you may remember if you listen to the second part of our interview with mark refoy when he was saying that on the day that Pete Kember invited him to join Spaceman 3. He said that Pete had grown. You know, he's just it's just that extra confidence that comes with, you know, having had a bit of success and knowing what you're doing and being happy with it. And I sort of feel a little bit the same about listening to this performance. It's like a band who uh, have always been pretty confident, but now they know they're completely mm. on it. And it's um, very assured and mm. just good to have a nice fuzzy version from that era where it's mostly still fairly gentle. The crowd are wild that night as well. Uh, <laughs> you don't really hear it just on that Walking With Jesus. It's elsewhere between the songs. But my God, it sounds boisterous in there. <laughs> <laughs> There is a version of, from that tour that does appear in the Live Europe 89. That's album. true. I, I can't remember which gig that comes from. You probably know that. There's that version that's on Spaceman Ago Live in Europe 1989. That's from Dornburn in Austria. Right. Uh, in fact, a few of the tracks from that gig, apart from the Walking with Jesus, the I Believe It, the Law Can You Hear Me, and the second version of Suicide are all from that gig. I did manage to track down where all the other ones came from, but that's a little bit boring for this podcast. Go and read that page on the website if you oh. like. The last one that we've chosen to to talk about is uh, from just after that European tour. It's a it's a month on from the Rose Club, isn't it? It is. But it's only four days after the last date they played in Italy on the European tour. So considering they had to get home from partway through Europe, find their way back to wherever they were in between, ending up uh, on the 30th of May, 89 at Waterman's Arts Centre. And they've reset it again. It's like it's being it's like it's being modelled back on those really gentle organ demo versions. In fact, the organ almost sounds like it's it's gone back to a one note drone whether it's yeah. just the recording we've got making not being particularly clear i don't know but you know when, when you hear most of the ones on the european tour even the gentle ones the drums and the bass are pretty full-on whereas they're quite subdued here mm. and it's all very gentle this was uh, the gig where where pete kember asked mark refoy to join the band oh that's right yeah uh, and then he sort of said and, and then afterwards just watched the gig and, and was amazed by it but i gather it was a slightly strange occasion and that there was a, a very very long time spent sound checking trying to get a particular sound right and that things were getting a little frayed but um the performance is lovely they, did they play Walking With Jesus at Reading? They didn't. After this, there's a very short UK tour. Uh, haven't got many recordings of that, although there's one from Bristol, which... Um, to Radio was the 
pre-reading one. Wasn't yeah, it? exactly. And then they, when they do the subterranean as a warm-up for for reading, it's played then. And of course, that's the only recording we've got uh, of Mark playing his guitar bits over it. And you can hear it's made a different, you know, his sort of trademark shimmery style is coming mm. into play there and it's gone back up to being a bit more up tempo not not completely ferociously full on but you know it's a bit more um jaunty again but um there wasn't time in the slot they had at reading to play everything they would have done in a normal set and that's not one that made it so the subterranean is the last performance that uh, that we get until of course that is 2010 where Pete Kemper and and mark and will and johnny uh and guests get to, to do a version there but we've already heard Pat tell his story of, of what it was like at that time well I hope it hasn't been too tedious hearing us just talk about the the one song for the time that we have but you know it's such a special one for us and you know once you put the idea in my head it, it, we just had to pursue this I suspect there might be others we might highlight well if we have forgotten any versions incidentally if anyone's aware of anything special <laughs> please let us know I had this sudden thing in the last 24 hours when I had him back of my mind surely there's a version that sounds and I won't bother describing it but a little bit different mm-hmm. but I think I'm just going walking with jesus happy you know it's well, we have played quite a lot of versions of this over the last couple of weeks yeah. it's worth saying i've seen spiritualized play walking with jesus many times and on many occasions he's taken a completely different tack and reinterpreted it there was one time it, it was almost like a i hate to use the term line dancing but it was like a country rock it had a little <laughs> bounce to it it was absolutely delightful and i'd never heard it played like that before i don't think i've ever heard it played like that since but that's the beauty of, of a song like that if you choose to reinterpret it goodness knows you wrote it yourself you can do what you like with it well it is one of these songs which has has been central to jason's work after and i think he was so taken with it at the time he did some interviews where he was saying how happy he was with it i mean this is jason in magnet magazine from december 98 it says uh pierce in particular remembers it as being the first Uh, I wasn't writing songs that were based on anyone else's songs. So Walking With Jesus was purely about what I was doing. I was kind of shocked to see the lyric written down. And hey, that's exactly what I was feeling. Yeah, I really want to do this to write songs. So you can see why he stuck with it since. Mm. And you're right, there have been lots of different spiritualized interpretations. Our friend Andy Black has been having a look at the post-Spaceman 3 versions. So here's uh, something that he's, he's put together for us. The thing about Walking With Jesus is, to me, it's always kind of been in some ways the perfect Spaceman record because it's clearly obviously half Pierce and half Kemba, but you could, to me, at least, I assume, Jason wrote the lyrics because of the Jesus reference, but then he's kind of got uh, Kemba's monotone. There's only like a two-note organ that goes all the way through and the bass line goes all the way through the same. So you can see how it's there to pulse and pulse and pulse. And it's that bit where repetition becomes blissful but on top of that you've got the chorus which is just kind of just short of a pop song almost in terms of the fact that it's a really catchy chorus so I've always kind of thought it was kind of um, the perfect halfway house between all of them part of all of them and then of course like it's obviously mutated a bit over the years so I think Jason returned it to his live set in about 92 I think because obviously he's on there's the Fucked Up Inside CD, which has got it on that, which is by that time, it's what, Mark Refoy, Sean Kirk, Johnny Matic. And that version was always glorious because Johnny's got all these wash of symbols all over it. And then I think I saw them play it when he had the Ladies and Gentlemen lineup. And by that point, Sean Cook was putting harmonica all over it. And Michael Mooney was playing bass. 
and then it's continued live. So obviously, I think he probably there's um, footage of Pete Camber's played it multiple times, but he does a stripped back version. And there's a video on YouTube of him doing it with Guto from the Super Furries. He's tapping away on a tambourine in the background. Um, and then, of course, like, um, well, what, 2010, there was uh, Hoxton Bar Grill. So Pat Fish covered it. And of course, it was written for him in the first place. So I kind of like the way the song has continued to mutate a bit over time, whether it was uh, an acoustic mainlines version or whether it's Pete doing a really rocked out version uh, or a harder version, really, last time I saw him play it. But um, I think the way that it continues to mutate and change a little and evolve, really, I think is probably the best thing about Space and Free. Cheers, Andy. Great to hear about some of those versions. Of course, as you say, Jason can do whatever he wants with his own song, and, and some of them have, have been really great. I have found it a little challenging listening to them when, when the bass line's been changed too much. I remember watching the Glastonbury 2004 on TV, and I'm afraid I can't remember who was on bass there. I'm very proficient, but he seemed to be very much doing his own thing, and I just couldn't quite settle into it because it wasn't <laughs> bouncing along the way I wanted it to. But what I really did love was the way that Jason played it on the uh, Acoustic Mainlines tour. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, I think the whole of that tour worked really well from from my point of view. And uh, that was a real highlight, possibly because with Spaceman 3 songs, I like the fact that Spaceman 3 way of doing things pretty much is that once it's got going, you know what it's going to sound like for the rest of the song. Whereas Spiritualized, of course, seem to be far more about dynamics and changing tempos and that sort of thing. And it works with many of their songs really well. I, I think I'm probably too precious about Walking With Jesus and I don't like it speeding up and slowing down. <laughs> so uh, it was nice with the, the acoustic mainlines. Uh, it, was, it was more on the one tempo. Plus, I just think that the whole atmosphere of those gigs imbued a lot of these things right. with some extra meaning. Well, particularly after yeah. what had happened before with Jason's health and of all course, that kind of thing, to of see him course. back on stage with so many musicians, everybody enjoying themselves. The atmosphere at those all of those gigs that I saw was absolutely terrific. It, I only saw the one in Brighton, and but it was phenomenal. And I'd managed to avoid reading anything about them in advance because I wanted to be surprised by every song. And it was so lovely to have some Spaceman 3 things in there. Mm. Uh, and Spiritualized ones came out wonderfully as well. Um, I was no, extremely lucky to see that. I'm pretty sure the Brighton one I was at was being filmed. but And I know that at least one of the others was professionally filmed. Mm. But um, although there were rumours of some release, nothing's actually come of it. I think with the Brighton one, unfortunately, one of the guitars went out of tune right at the end. And that would definitely have scuppered any hope. Oh. You couldn't, couldn't salvage that. It was, it, was on the, um, it was on one of the, what did they do right towards the end? Good night good night and the strumming is sort of picking so it's the only bit of instrumentation going on and it was so conspicuously not quite right that it rather undermined it but not the night because it was wonderful and as you say yeah there was that extra element of just seeing jason again it was it was the adulation as well and seeing him looking all right Who'd have thought you could waffle on for as long as we have just about one song, but, you know, it's such a special one to us. Thanks very much again to Pat Fish for his time. Thanks to, to Annie and the other guys for all the little um, extra bits that people have contributed. Uh, we're not really sure what we'll do next time or whether we'll get round to it a bit more quickly than we did this time. But thanks very much for listening. We've been Spaceman Pod. Good night. Good night. Good night.